just hit the, um, the stop. Okay. Right <coughs> I got you scrambled eggs, is that okay? That's perfect. Okay. I, was, I forgot. When I was driving up, I thought, oh, I, sh I should have told them. I don't care any kind of egg. Oh, you did anything. Yeah. It's not like any mushrooms or Brussels sprouts. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, you know, I'm so, I normally do this to people I know really well. I don't know you really well, but I've known, but I've talked to you over like maybe a decade. I mean, um, you know, the Skatopia reunions, you generously sent some, some images of yourself at Skatopia. And, and, um, and this podcast is really about art. So it can be anything from audio engineering to skateboarding to your music. That's sort of the, the very broad spectrum of like interests, and um, so, anyways, like Skatopia, like I, you were not in my crew at Skatopia. So, what was it? What was that like for you? I mean, who did you skate with, and what? What do you remember about that? My friend Lee Weber, who I used to skate with all the time, um, he got a job at Skatopia, but, but that was later on. Um, we first started going there right after it opened. Okay. Um, and, you know, it was a great park at that time. That half pipe was just so epic. Yeah. Um, but in fact, still to this day, the best half pipe I've ever skated. Um, Why? Why was that? You know what? It wasn't too big. Like Lakewood, Lakewood got big. You it was know? fast. Yeah, it was big and fast. <laughs> and it was just like almost too much. Right. And Skatopia, you could skate all the way down the line or you could skate side to side. You could skate back up the thing, yep. you know. And it was just, to me, it was just a perfect height. I, you know, there, I don't think plastic kneecaps had been no. invented by no. that time. Mm -hmm. But I never learned to knee slide. Me neither. And so yeah. things like of that size, like, you know, eight foot and under is just perfect for me. And still to this day, I still don't know how to knee slide. Me so neither. it's like I, don't either. I run and roll or I slam, you know. Yep. I slide. I've learned. I try to slide my body along. <clears throat> yeah, I've kind of learned the whole slide thing. But you know, I learned. I was a gymnast in high school, and and I basically just took gymnastics just so I could learn to fall for mm -hmm. you know for skateboarding. Right. And so I learned how to, you know, like one. You do the Boston two step. It's like two steps and roll. You so know? you do. Yeah. So and, you like two steps and kind of do the. Yeah. Judo and, roll and, or something like that. And and you know what's so funny? Yeah, it is like a judo roll. I guess you would say. Um, and Skateboarder Magazine, years ago, probably like in 1975, um, I'd grown up in San Diego, and this guy, Jeff something or rather, he did an article on falling and oh. how to fall properly. Uh -huh. And I was there that day. Um, there was like me and Bobby Shea and Bobby Frost that mm. both rode for um, Fiberflex for GNS. What a trip. And um, the three of us. And I think actually maybe David Paul might have been there that day too. And, <clears throat> and it was filmed out at... Um, Santa Clara Point at the Boys and Girls Club out on the, on the basketball courts. And um, the guy sh did this, you know, thing on falling. Mm -hmm. And he showed how to fall diagonally across your body. So mm -hmm. whatever your lead hand is, mm -hmm. that's where you start. And then as you roll, you come out. If you start on your right hand, you mm -hmm. come out on your left foot. Okay. So, and uh -huh. it's, I guess that's like a judo rule. Okay. But that was something that really stuck to me as a, as a kid. You know, mm -hmm. I was about 14 at that time. Mm. And I learned how to roll, mm. you know? I mean, it's, I never had any other formal training of, you know, mm -hmm. gymnastics or martial arts or whatever. Right, right. But that kind of started my path to, you know, learn how to fall properly. And I've, I've only broken one bone 
uh-huh. in all my years of skateboarding. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been skateboarding 54 years or something now. And I broke my wrist one time, but that was just a fluke thing. I hit mm-hmm. a I hit a patch of dirt okay. and fell, you know. Uh, on the flat or in the bowl or? We were, um, me and Ron Emery, the guitar player at TSOL, yeah. and Psycho Dave Ortiz. Yeah. We were going to San Francisco for a street contest. <clears throat> and um, we stopped up near Magic Mountain and there was a ditch up there that we skated and then we bombed this hill afterwards. Oh and you gosh. come down to the bottom of the hill and there's like a cul-de-sac. Okay. And then, so I loop around the cul-de-sac and, and I see as I'm turning, there's a big bank, like a motorcycle, or like a bicycle jump or something. Oh. And I'm like, uh, and it's like a quarter pipe to me, the way yeah. I see it. Sure. And I'm like, I'm gonna go hit that thing. There's no curb. So I go like, and I'm moving and I go yeah. flying into it and I hit soft dirt in front of it. <laughs> and I just pile drive, you, you know. Yeah, my <laughs> wrist stopped me, you know, and I broke my wrist. And it was such a bummer because we had to go up to, uh, up to that contest and I was just in pain all fucking weekend man <laughs> and I had Barry what was his name Barry Zaritsky he was the uh, he was like the pro skateboarding um, medic or whatever okay and I had Barry take a look at it and he, like he grabbed it and instantly he goes oh yeah you broke your wrist he goes you broke your scaphoid bone huh. he goes that's or the, your navicular huh. um, it's also known as the boat bone he goes um, here just put a splint on it and go see your doctor when you get home and we drove Dave's 63 Ford Falcon station wagon Ooh. to San Francisco <laughs> and it had no power steering. Oh my God. And we went and skated, um, uh, what's the, uh, Derby skate park in Santa oh, Cruz. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and that day I had the worst slam of my life. That I've with a ever, broken wrist? With a broken wrist. The worst slam I've ever had in my life skateboarding. Like one of those slams where you just want to quit skateboarding. Like, you know, <laughs> fuck this. Second. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, but so afterwards, um, those guys, I drove home. Th- those guys, uh, I think they'd been drinking or something. And, and so I had to drive. And I drove home like with a fucked up elbow and my wrist just hammered with no power steering and we took the 101 home you know so it's like you know it's not a straight line no yeah wow that was a rough one you weren't haired out that you were gonna slam your wrist again um it was already broken so <laughs> <laughs> and i had a splint on it right. but yeah i slammed hard on my elbow man i just i hate derby you do? <laughs> no, it's just like, it was r- like going right into the bowl, like you come down the little snake run, and then just as you go into the bowl, and I kind of like, kind of hit the hip and hit sand in front of it or something. Right. And I was smoking, man, and just my whole body just went out from underneath me. It's just one of those deep. like, you know, skateboard ending slams. Right. You know, something I was thinking about when I was driving out here, um, because you have a lot of... Uh, You've done a lot of things, met a lot of people, you know, and um, you've been around punk rock since sort of the beginning, obviously. And um, is punk rock, you know, does it still exist? My friend Brooks Wackman used to play for um, Bad Religion. He's a member. And um, I remember going to a few of those shows, and it's billed as punk rock, you know. I didn't know Bad Religion when we were young, you know, because I got into fusion and all that jazz and all that. Yeah, yeah. And so... um, but I thought, wow, this doesn't sound like punk rock. You know, I, and I think bad religion gets a bad, bad rap. You know, I mean, they, you know, they were a punk band, and I think they're, I still consider them a punk band, but they've just refined their sound. They've grown yes. up, you know, and, and, you know, I think, 
I think everybody does. You know, if you've been in a band for 30 years, your band's going to evolve and you're going to become a better musician. Things get slicker. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, it's like my band Love Canal. We made an album in 1980. We started recording in 83. I don't think it actually came out till 85. And, you know, it was done in like an eight-track studio. That's what I was going to ask. What was it? A Tascam or a... Or... <laughs> yeah, it was like on an eight track, you know. Uh -huh. so, so they mixed all the drums into like one channel or yes. two channel stereo no or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, that recording came out, it was, you know, good at its time. You know, we were all young and the songs were, you know, pretty foul and whatnot. And now we've just 30 plus years later, we just put out a new album and it was produced by this guy, Cameron Webb, that produced the last eight Motorhead albums. Okay. And he did. Um, He's done like a few No Effects albums, a few Pennywise. He's got a Grammy for um, a Kelly Clarkson album. Okay. Um, he remixed Hendrix at Isle of Wight, wow. you know, for the CD version that came out a, a few years ago. producer. <clears throat> yeah, super good. And we went in and recorded with him, and we did 14 songs. We tracked 14 songs in eight hours. And when we were done, I'm like, it's perfect. It's done. Like, we don't wow. need to do anything else, you really? know? And it's like, it came out so good. And so I played three songs for O. Um, one day and he listened to it and he, go, he goes would you guys get signed to a major label or something and I'm like no but you know technology has evolved yes. and a good producer you know with a good studio and it came out really good and it probably sounds probably too slick for this shitty punk band from Huntington Beach <laughs> um, but you know what who goes in the studio to make a shitty album no I know you know right. and it's like at, at the end of the day you know I'm listening to it and I'm like fuck it's a good album, man. Right. I mean, it sounds good. The songs are good. The recording is good. And right. it's been, um, it's, you know, in on three different continents in six different countries, wow. it's been called Punk Album of the Year. Really? Yeah. And it's like, wow. you know, I mean. You think people, it's because you guys got some kind of feeling in there that, because I have to feel a thing when I hear the music that I love, I have to feel a thing. Yeah. Do you think it's in there? You know what? It's, um. That's hard. I think we can make a better album because the, the the songs on it, like a third of them, are from the '80s and songs that we either redid or didn't record they were back, then. back then. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, the other third is like when we restarted the band um, because we took you know some time off. We restarted the band around 2005 or so, and um, we kind of wrote some songs the first couple of years then, <clears throat> and then we. Um, you know, as the band evolved, because, you know, members kind of come and go, yeah. and, you know, especially as you get older, you know, it's, everybody's got commitments and yep. family and stuff. And so, you know, we've kind of settled into the, to the group of guys that we have now, and, um, you know, we wrote songs with this group, but that we we're still kind of in our infancy with this group. So those songs are really good. That's kind of neat thing, actually. Yeah, you know, so there's like, you know, it, it kind of shows a whole variety of our writing, you know, in the process, but I think now that we've, um, we're kind of more accustomed to each other, yeah. you know, got a better feel for each other. So we're going to start writing again and hopefully get another album out in the next year or two. Killer. Yeah. That's and, cool. You know, I mean, the band is, um, it's, uh, our singer right now is, um, uh, John Bosco, okay. who was in DI. Okay. And, um, Crash Kills 4 and he plays in Doggy Style and, um, he's just a great vocalist and I'm, you know, I'm, I can't wait to have him write some songs for this band mm -hmm. um he's a then, good writer uh yeah you know he's written great songs i hope he can write some great songs right. for us you know right um and but we all we all partake in the process you know right um carrie howell our other guitar player 
he's uh, he played an old metal band, Leatherwolf. Okay. Um, and um, that was kind of his background, but he loved punk music, always wanted to play in a punk band. And mm -hmm. He's also kind of like a substitute bass player and guitar player for Agent Orange. Okay. I, I, I actually welcome lols and burps and farts and whatever. It's, very, <laughs> it's, the, it's You being an audience, you know, I was a little paranoid. It's so, so, it's just all scars and, you know. It is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. But, um, so you know Bosco's playing the Kerry Howe, playing yeah. guitar, and um, like I said, he's a substitute bass player and guitar player for Agent Arm. Right. Um, I make my kids jealous with a little <laughs> imagery. Um, and then the bass player is Bob Gnarly. Bob used to play in, uh, in uh, The Veins, which was an early punk band from Huntington Beach, Fountain mm -hmm. Valley area. And Mark Arnold was the guitar player mm -hmm. in that band. Mark went on to do Big Drill Car. And uh, Mark's a great audio engineer now, tours with big bands and stuff. Killer. Um, and then our drummer um, is Stevie Dirt, who played in Heavy Dirt and DI and mm -hmm. Crash Kills 4, I think. Um, and then we kind of got a backup drummer, Doug McKinnon. Okay. He used to be in the Vandals. Okay, right. So Doug... Uh, Doug was our drummer, but he started another band. He's got a business with uh, Eric, the drummer, and No Effects. And they have the Long Beach United Boxing Gym. Okay. So that eats up a lot of his time. Definitely. So he kind of like took a back seat and said, here, you know, let me just be the backup guy. Thank you very much. Oh, man, food. <clears throat> so the band's doing really good right now. You know, we're... It's awesome. Yeah, we're getting ready to head up north. Do some shows with TSOL up in the Bay Area. What is the configuration of that band right now? Um, it's uh, Jack Grisham, the original singer. Oh, seriously? Yeah, Ron Emery, the original guitar player. Mike Roach, the original bass player. And they got this guy, uh, Antonio, playing drums. What a trip. And uh, Antonio's a great drummer. That's killer. Fits, you know, he's one of those kids that just grew up on TSOL. Okay. Um, sort of like Josh Freeze playing for Devo kind of thing? Yeah. Um, totally knows it, just nails it. Yeah, they. It's funny because they needed a drummer. Their drummer quit, and I think they had a couple substitute drummers. Or one guy come in and played for like a year or something. And then they needed somebody like really bad. Mm -hmm. So they tried this guy out, and they got like shows like in a couple of days. And they uh -huh. got to like <laughs> get a drummer. What? So they tried this guy out, and he was just awful. I like, couldn't even get through a song. Mm. Mike Roach, the bass was like, hey, man, you know what? I met this guy one time, a young kid, and says he knows the songs, and yeah. I think I got his number. So he, like, finds his number, calls the guy. The guy comes in and, like, basically just nails the set first practices. They're like, okay, you got to show it tomorrow. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I admire that you all, you all are playing so much. I mean, I have, like, a garage band, and we played for many years, and open for some... <sighs> Famous people and never were successful, but it's so hard to get those guys to play again. Like old old guys, you know, got so many excuses not to play. I know. How do you do that? How do you manage? Because I mean, you you know, that's the hardest thing, man. Because I mean, you're dealing with five grown men. Yeah. You know, got families, kids, jobs, 
careers, own businesses, mm-hmm. and trying to make it all happen, man. It's hard. It's not like just when we were kids when you can just come and Show go as you up. please, it's you know. Time. Yeah. And then you got attitudes, you know, because we're all set in our ways and we're grown men. It's like, <laughs> you know, so there's, there's infighting. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, we all love each other and we are all just looking out for each other's best interest, you know. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes if one of the guys can't play, play a gig. It's like no big deal. It's just another gig, you know. Right. And uh, you know, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Not so serious. Yeah, we took it kind of serious. I don't know if you did, but we took it kind of serious when we were young. That's that part's nice. That mm-hmm. Little perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're at a point where we just do it for fun. Yeah. You know. But, uh, you know, I don't book us on on weekdays, you know, unless it's a like a big show yeah. with a touring band mm-hmm. and it's going to sell out or whatnot, you know. But otherwise, it's like we're just weekend warriors, you know. Do a little touring, you know, do a little weekend like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Great. Things, you know. Oh, it's great. Do you... Um did you ever find it difficult to wear the different hats? Like, you're an audio engineer, and then you're up there playing your instrument. Is it hard to do that when you are the guy that does both those things? You know, I was... My audio background started a long time ago. Um, I was the house sound man at the concert factory, oh. which was the old cuckoo's nest. I that place, yeah. And, um, you know, I mixed sound when I first started working for the Chili Peppers. I would mix front of house sound. Mm-hmm. I'd have my merch booth next to me. <laughs> you know, while I'm mixing sound, I'm selling T-shirts and records. <clears throat> you know, Flea would break a string, mm-hmm. and I'd run up on. So I'd tell like the house guy, "Hey, watch the board," and I'd run up on on stage. Yeah. Cut the old string off, loop another string through the bridge, and let it dangle while he's playing. And then in between songs, he would, like, you know, hook it back up and tune it. <laughs> but Multitasking. I was always more a guitar player than an audio engineer. Okay. So an audio engineer out of necessity for money or for... Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, during the Peppers time, I you know, as they were getting bigger, we brought in a uh, front of house audio engineer. This guy, Chris Grayson, who's a good buddy of mine that mm-hmm. worked for uh, the Dead Kennedys, worked for mm-hmm. T.S. Well, uh-huh. and we had tour- toured together. Um, so he came on board, and then we brought in a drum tech. So I strictly just guitars. Like guitar tech? Yeah, just guitar okay. tech. Yeah, that's cool. and, and so audio just kind of surpassed me, um, you know, just the technology. Mm-hmm. So today, you know, I still work with sound systems, I still build systems. And, set stuff up which is awesome thank yeah. you um, but you know nowadays I'm, I'm a I'm a union stagehand by trade okay. yeah and um, I'm a job steward you know so I'll run like I run Pacific Amphitheater down at the Orange County Fairgrounds right you've been there a long time haven't you yeah you know I've actually worked there since 84 I'm touring with bands you know going through there 
and then I started working in the union in 89, worked there, and then it closed down for 10 years, and then it opened back up, I think 16 years ago, and um, I came on staff there as a department head. I was head audio for a couple years, and then mm -hmm. I became the head props, which is like backline band gear stuff, okay. and now I'm the head carpenter, okay. which is basically runs the, the show. I do all the payroll. Ooh. Those potatoes are killer. Are they? Yeah. Cheese, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> We're eating breakfast at the Park Bench Cafe for anybody that wants to know. <laughs> they got killer cinnamon roll French toast. It's gnarly, dude. Yeah, with a with a uh, glaze of. Uh, I was wondering what that was. What is that? Is it just like um? What do you? Is it maple? I don't know. Is I supposed to put some on that, or I just kind of go for both? It's killer. It's intense, dude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I eat so fast. I eat like a pig. My kids trip out of me. <sighs> practically choke myself when I eat. That's the way I am. <laughs> I love food. Yeah, I, thinking about this meeting, I thought, um, well, you know, uh, I didn't know if you did a lot of road work. I, I figured you did. So. So I thought, well, I'm going to let him choose the place to eat because when you're on the road, people that have been on the road a lot, they know a lot about food. And, you know, they want to go to, this would be great to do at Ikea because it's quiet. And, but, you know, if you don't want those Swedish meatballs today, it's not going to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was trying to think of a place that we could meet in between us. Oh, I don't care where it's at. We're so close. When I went... I didn't get your thing, and so I was literally just sitting on my couch, and then I saw the thing on Facebook, and I got here in about 25 minutes. Yeah. You didn't see my text? No, I didn't get any. I, I sent you a text like a last night at like 1220. You did? Uh, 1230. No. <sighs> all I got, see? That's weird. Yeah. It's no big deal. So you're more than guitar thing. How is that? How, how, what is that like today? I mean, because what do you do? You have a, you have a amp and all that? You know, because the reason I care is all of this modeling and all this. Uh, obviously, you have an amp. Yeah. I am. Um does it become like a dark art, having an amp? You know what? I, I still, like, to me, less is more. You know, like a huge pedal board. I mean, some people, their music, they have to have all that. You know, I think, I like a guitar player that can just play, you know, has a tuner. Yep. And maybe a chorus pedal or something, a distortion pedal or, you know. <clears throat> um, I work for TSOL. And Ron Emery is so simplistic. Mm -hmm. He likes vintage amps. He likes vintage guitars. Mm -hmm. He has a couple pedals. And, you know, he writes great songs. And it's just, you know, to me, somebody that can create something with less, you know, 
But, you know, there's people out there, their music, it, it, it takes a lot of effects yeah. and stuff. You're playing for Yes or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you're, you know, you're right. No, I think there's something more powerful about uh, Less in anything. Uh-huh. Like, whenever I stripped away um, things in skateboarding or in music, whenever I have less than what I think I need to have to do a thing, it almost always comes out better. You know what? And me, I'm, I'm like, I always say I'm the one guy. Because I have one kicktail on my skateboard. I got one fin on my surfboard. I got one pickup on my guitar. <laughs> you know, I got one dog. Right. I got one wife. I got one God. Right. You know, it's just, to me, I'm just, I, less is more. You know, I only right. need one of those. Right. Except for guitars. I mean, I have a lot of guitars, but I only need, like... One, one at a time. One pickup, one volume, one tone. Right. You know. You collect guitars? Mm-hmm. Mm. How bad is it? I collect guitars and skateboards. You do? You collect skateboards? Yeah. Just 60s stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, because that was kind of my thing. You know, growing up, I started skateboarding in 64. And just that whole Claywell era, I just love. The craftsmanship in the boards. Black Knight and... Um, yeah, but... I before really, Black Knight, right? Yeah, yeah, well before Black Knight. Black Knight's weren't until the 70s. Maybe late 60s. But um, I just love the craftsmanship of the, you know, laminated wood. Like the old Hobie nine-stringer boards. Yeah. The, you know, Makaha Commander, where they're just laminating beautiful woods together. Right. You know, they were, they were making like... You know, they were like surfboards, you know, it was that same kind of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just love it. You know, I don't really collect any 70s stuff or 80s stuff. Just love 60s stuff. I hang it on the wall. My wife mm-hmm. my wife is kind enough to let me hang it on the see wall. see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like just in your dungeon. You know what, though? She, uh, she rode skateboards when she was a little girl. Okay. She had a black knight. Our son, you know, he's been a skateboarder his whole life. Um, so, you know, it's, we're a skateboarding family. Right. You know, so right. it's nice to have that passion of something you love and it's art on the wall for us, you know. How often do you get to skateboard much anymore? It's so hard because I've been injured. doing wonderful thank you um, last 10 years just you know 57 years old the body's just taking a beating you know I never I very rarely wore pads yeah unless you know I had to right never learned an e-slide no and so you know my body's just taking a beating but I need I need surgery on my foot. <clears throat> I have a torn planter plate. Okay. And uh, so I got to wear these like, <laughs> I wear these like $20 women's running shoes. Mm. And Does it help the, you walk? It's the only thing that, it's the only shoe that I can wear that I can function. The pain if you... Um, oh, so much pain. Right. Um, and I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars on shoes the last couple of years. You know, I buy $300 tennis shoes and they don't work. Right. You know, and it's, I, it was kind of a long process to find out what was wrong because the doctor told me I had one thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm, uh, 
he's trying to treat it. And after like a year and a half, he's like, well, you know, it's not getting better. Let's do an MRI. We do an MRI, finds out, oh, it's not what we thought it was. You got a torn planter plate. That's bad. And I'm like, uh, yeah, well, how do we fix that? And he's like, well, you got to put, you know, I'm going to slice you open. I'm going to put two wires on top and two wires on the bottom, and we're going to pull it all back together. You know, the recovery is about four to five months. Wow. And it's like, you know, I'm about four to five months out of my life right now. To... Right. So I've been dealing with that. So, it's you know, it's made it hard to skate. Um, I mean, wow. it's, it's easier to skate than it is to walk. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I got a bad foot and I'd get around most of the time on my cruiser. I have a Belmar made this sort of a Sims tape, taper kick knockoff. Mm -hmm. So I used to have to go to the cost when I'm too far away. I just, it's way easier to skate there than to walk over there. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, I'm dealing with that. I got, I got a knee that I need surgery on. You know, medical, you know, insurance, all they want to do is, here, take some pills. Yeah. And go through therapy. And it's like, well, that doesn't work for me, you know. Yeah. They get money from the pills. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of these, this, I got this breathing and swallowing issue right now that I'm dealing with. <coughs> so I do that a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they haven't figured out what it is. And I kind of almost think that it, it might be from taking so many anti-inflammatories hmm. that have screwed up the muscles in my throat that 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 close that, yeah that open and close the whole swallowing and breathing function awesome. just isn't working awesome. and it's almost and it's almost like it was because those muscles are so relaxed from all the anti-inflammatories i took <clears throat> so yeah i'm dealing with that i you know hopefully they can figure out what it is you'll fix it yeah, it's just been it's been a process. You just have to give up with all that because you, you know it takes so long, it's so slow. Medicine it could be months, it could be years before you really know. I had an endoscopy down my throat, into my stomach to see if they could figure out what it was yeah. two weeks ago, and the doctor's like, no anti-inflammatories, a week before and two weeks after. Huh because they don't want my blood to be thin during our operation. Mm -hmm. Aspirin in there, yeah. Because right. you might bleed out, you yeah. know, as he's, as he's scoping my throat, if he's cutting things out or yep. whatever, you know. <clears throat> so going three weeks without anything for my knee and my foot, I could take Tylenol, but I don't really like taking Tylenol because it's so hard on your stomach, you know. Does it work for you? Tylenol doesn't really do much for me. Barely. And I, tr I try to eat low doses of everything because I was a drug addict, you know, growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, for the most part, I mean, I'm clean and sober with yeah. the exception of the, the medication i got to take. Yes. You know? You and, can't get high off ibuprofen and all that crap. Yeah, but it's still not good for you, you know, to no, yeah, take yeah. in, yeah. you know, large mass quantities. So That's true. I really try and just take the most minimal amount of any prescribed yes. drug, you know. But, you know, maybe this anti-inflammatories is what's caused... You know, my throat thing. Hmm. It's possible. Yeah, it's just weird because they cannot figure anything out. And I've been reading about it. The anti-inflammatories in, in you know, long-term use can create a permanent, permanent swallow. Well, I don't know if it's permanent. Excuse me. If it's permanent, 
but it can create that problem, you know. <clears throat> it's amazing. You found that out, but your doctor hasn't brought that up to you? No, nope. I just read constantly. I'm constantly trying to figure out why. So my next thing is I'm going to go to, I've seen, you know, a brain surgeon or, you know. A, yeah, neuro. It could a, be neuro. Yeah. Yeah. A, and which, you know, maybe it is. I hope it's not. Sure. Um, but, you know, I've seen so many specialists and nobody can figure out. So my next thing is maybe go see a uh, asthma doctor. Yes. Because it's almost kind of feels like it's anaphylactic shock. You know, people that have peanut allergies. Yeah. <laughs> and their windpipe closes up. Yeah. And they have, you know, breathing difficulty. Well, it almost kind of feels like that because sometimes I, it does. It's like, tight? Yeah, it gets tight, mm-hmm. you know. That could be either. That could be the brain giving a signal there, or it could be a chemical that made the brain give a signal there. And uh-huh. who knows? It's so. I say just keep going until you can't go anymore. You ride them until the brakes. Right? Ride them until the hubcaps fall off. Exactly. You know, I want to skate. That's the thing. You know, I love the. I, 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 got, I always got to be doing something, you know, whether it's music or skating. Mm-hmm. And because I haven't been able to skate, you know, like I'd like to for the last 10 years. I've kind of immersed myself back in music. I hear that. But I really want to skate. And um, you got to have both if you can do it. If you can physically take it, you got to. Yeah. I think. But, you know, I've been so discouraged with skating, too, not only with my physical ailments, but, you know, everybody gets so excited because we have so many skate parks around. Yeah. But to me, they all fucking suck. <laughs> you know, it's all. Why is that? It's all, every skate park in California has an amoeba pool. It's like, why? Build something different. Build an egg pool. Build a capsule. Yeah. Build a square pool. Yeah. You know, yeah. why does everything got to have hips? Yes, you know, why is there not a straight wall somewhere? You know, right. we all love skating half pipes. It's just two straight walls long, you know? Yes. Why did that never happen? Why did they never make a Skatopia half pipe of all the- I, I know. Why hasn't, why, why hasn't somebody built a reservoir and a half pipe? Right. You know? Yeah. Or a good snake run. <clears throat> you know, it's right. like everything. It's a street course, and an amoeba. And then they, then they got adventurous and started making clovers. Yes. You know, so it's like an amoeba and a clover. And why is it? Why are why are those the things that are getting made at the skate park? Is it because people our age are designing those skate parks, and that's all the limit of our imagination? I have no idea. I'm so frustrated by it. There's a new skate park getting built out in um, Redlands that, um, <clears throat> ah, shoot, what's his name? Wally Holiday's building it. Oh, killer. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then, uh, what's his name? Shelly Abbott's boyfriend. Gosh. Shout out to Shelly Abbott and her boyfriend um, are working on it. And Shelly's been posting some photos and video of it. And it's got a, like a little left-hand kidney that kind of on, on the hip side there's like a little small pocket, but it's not okay. like an amoeba. Okay. But there's a long wall, you know? I mean, it's like, I mean, I love a nice long wall, yeah. you know? Yeah. When everything's just like hips and bowls, I get dizzy because it's, it's like, like obstacle course. Yeah. You can't, like amoebas, you know, I, I always skated pools side to side. I never went in and, like, I hate going in and going over the light. And yes. one hitting it, you know. Right. I want to hit the sidewall, and then the sidewall, and then the sidewall. I'll go get three or four hits, and I'm out. Yeah. But it's mainly sidewall. And on clovers and amoebas, you can only really skate the bowl or the hip. The deep end. You can't really skate it side to side unless you just kind of double carve it or whatever. But, right. <clears throat> you know, I just like a nice straight wall. 
a long wall somewhere, you know. And I've right. I've been so frustrated the last 15 years watching skate parks get built. It's yeah. just the same thing over and over. And yeah, you know, people get so excited about like who fucking cares? It's another amoeba. <laughs> it's like you know. But I'm gonna drive to Redlands to skate this new pool, man. Because it's got something different. Yeah, it looks killer, man. Yeah. A little left-hander. What about that new? Uh, they're building another combi. Oh, get me started on that. Why don't you, Ken? <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell you about that. I fought this city for over 25 years to build skate parks, and I worked on their, on their, you know, group think, mm -hmm. and worked on the boards, and, um, you, you know, always trying to work to make a skate park in the city. Right. And the first one they built um, <clears throat> was over at Murdy Park, right just down a, street. a block away. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like a curb and a bank. It was like an ashtray with a like curb. Like a place and a, for people to sit. Yeah, it was like yeah. totally unfunctional. Right. And it was built by this company called Percus Rose. Right. I know them. Like, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I basically threw my hands up in the air because the rest of the guys on the board, and I'm not going to mention any no. names, no. were guys that own skateboard companies that are trying to cater to the people that are going to buy their skateboards, street skaters, you know. So they, they built that thing, and then the next one was out in front of the high school. And they built, you know, a curb, a rail, and a fun box, you know, and a little... HB right there? Yeah. Right. And, a little, and, and a little bank that was like, you know, there's a bank, but there's no adjoining bank. Like, like you know... To make sense. Yeah, to make face-to-face. -face. There's right. like... Right. <clears throat> but it was like totally stupid. You got a rail and a, a curb and a box. And then they built another one that nobody even knows about, like a block away in this neighborhood that's basically a curb, you know. Just a curb. Yeah. <laughs> and right by Chicken's house over there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh -huh. And um, yeah. so then when they, just, you know, they make this big announcement, they're, they're going to build a skate park and Vans is going to be involved. <clears throat> so first thing I do is I find out Who's, who's going to build it? Who's going to design it? Who's going to build it? And they said, it's going to be California Skate Park. So I contact California Skate Parks. And I said, hey, you know, I've been working with the city for years. I'd love to try and let the community have some input in this. And they said, well, you know, it's going to be designed by Lance Mountain and uh, Jeff Grosso. So I contacted Lance. And Lance said, well, um, you know, here's, this is what Vans wants. They want a big competition clover bowl. And... Um, I'm like, well, what about, you know, for the people that live here? You know, that... Huntington Beach all your life. Yeah. And he's like, well, this is what the, you know, Vans wants. So I was pissed, man. So I started, you know, I emailed Steve Van Dorn. Yeah. And um, kind of sent a shitty letter to him. And, um, you know, I mean, I rode for Vans. I started riding for Vans in, like, 77. Um, you know, they outfitted my whole skateboard team, the Santana team, and... Um, my kid rode for Vans. For, he started riding for Vans when he was three years old. So, you know, I mean, I've always thought I had a good rapport with them. And, but, so, you know, they're going to build this thing. And, and I was just bummed, you know, because it's not what it's not what a community needs. Why do you need a big 11-foot deep pool for a community? And that thing sat, like, empty. Yeah. It's for certain a small select amount of people. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know. So yeah. there's a street course and this big pool. And so they said... So, you know, months go by and then Lance calls me back and goes, hey, Arab, so they got this other 
there's enough land to build another pool. What, what, what do you have in mind? And I said, just something like a little eight foot backyard pool, not a clover, not an amoeba, you know, like a little kidney, a egg, you know, just something simple that you can skate front to back, side to side, you know, and it doesn't have hips, you know, just less is more. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, you know, we talked for like an hour and then a couple hours later, he sends me an email and it's got a picture of this great little like clam pool, round deep end, mm-hmm. kind of walls that pull in like an egg, the shallow end square, two square corners that are rideable, you know. That's killer. Uh, yeah, and it was such a great little thing. And my only complaint was it was like eight foot deep, but there's only six inches, six inches of vert. Okay. And I'm like, well... You know, let's just give it more vert, like at least a foot and a half. Like yeah. most backyarders got three foot of vert. How would you do that with a tighter tranny? Yeah. Okay. Which to so me, faster. thank you very much. Um, yeah, because I, I mean, I yeah. like tighter trannies. Yeah. I don't like big trannies. You like it to be over with before it starts. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> it's like I'm, I was never. Let me get this. here. No, no, no. Uh-huh. Come on. Uh-huh. And um. Mm-hmm. We're gonna hang out though. Okay. So. You know, I'm like, let's add some vert to it. Make it like a real backyarder. Yeah. And so Lance kind of ho-homed, and he's like, well, you know, this is really what they want. I'm like, whatever. At least the shape's good. There you go. You know, the shape's good. The depth is good. There's just not the vert there, but whatever. Right. It'll be user-friendly. Yeah. So they dig the hole, and Justin Regan, the Vans team manager, shows up (coughs) and goes, what's this? This ain't going to fly. Really? Are you serious? They dug the hole? So. Because obviously that never got built. No. You know the bowl with the rock in it? Yeah. So that was the hole that they started with. And then they said, no, we're going to build like this multi-purpose thingy thing. Made a turn and added the other bowls to it. Mm -hmm. So I got pissed. So I started writing. um, I wrote the mayor. I wrote all the city council members and said, look, this is, you know, this isn't what, you know, should be put in a skate park. This whole thing shouldn't be what's put in a skate park for community. You know, they're doing this for them, not for us. Mm-hmm. And I got pretty shitty about it. So <clears throat> the mayor, the only person that writes me back, says, and I, you know, I called out Justin Regan on it. I'm like the Vans team manager. And the mayor writes me back and goes, oh, Justin Regan. Yeah, I went to high school with him. He's my old buddy. And I'm like, oh, great. Well, I just lost that battle, (laughs) you know. So they, so, you know, they build that thing. And I said from the beginning, that park's going to suck. And look, now they've torn out both of those things. And they're going to put a reverse combi in there. And it's like, is that really what we need? You know, right? So, so Vans are going to shut the other one down. Yeah, they're shutting the other park down. I think it's got another like year on its on its leash or something. Well, how is it that a team? I don't know. I don't have any access to these kind of dealings. How is it that a team manager could dictate what's going to be built in a corporation's uh, skate park? He's the team manager. You know, he's got a lot of pull. You know, I mean, it bummed me out because. You know, and I know Justin grew up, you know, here in Huntington Beach, too. Okay. You know, 
he's a little kid that he doesn't know the other side of. Okay. You know, he's a street skater. Okay. You know, and he doesn't know that. You know, the whole. To me, it's like you know, skateboarding was downhill and pools because you know that's what you did. You rode in the street. That's all there was. Yeah, or you rode pools. You know, and then, the you know those other disciplines. You know, like slalom or high jump or, or ditches, barrel jump or ditches. You yeah. know, but. And I think we just kind of lost that whole thing of where it came from. Why can't we just go back to the roots? Go back to what, how skate parks were. Mm-hmm. Where's the half pipe? Where's the reservoir? Mm-hmm. Where's the snake run? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and they try and build these things nowadays. That, you know, it's their money. I guess they yeah, can build whatever the they fuck the right they want. right to do whatever they want. But it is all the same. I mean, it is kind of... I used to go to different skate parks because, you know, growing up and going to Skate Topic, you know, I had to get a job there because it cost three bucks for two hours, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, and then so when everybody would build, whenever anybody would build a new skate park, it was just, oh my God, so great, let's go. And so when I came back and skating in these parks around 2000, I'd go to all these new parks. I'd be so excited, and this new one was a little different than the other. But pretty soon they kind of became the same thing. You could almost predict, you know. So now you almost choose a park on like, well, is it summer, so it's so hot, well, I'll go to Venice because it's, at least it's on the beach. Mm-hmm. You know, they just turned into cookie cutters. It's like when we were in vert ramps, just became the rage. Yeah. And it was like, you know, everything had 10 foot tranny, foot and a half of vert. And that's, and that's all everybody could ride. And then all of a sudden, you know, and then mini ramps were around too, but when you put those people, it's so funny, you watch like vert jocks, go try and skate a backyard pool and they have like like they don't know how to carve right. you know or when they carve they do like under carves like they don't know how to carve grind right. you know yeah that's true that's but it's, true. it's almost like they've just kind of lost sight of where we came from you know um back to Justin Regan you want to hear something funny yeah so my wife's at this like women's group thing, meeting or something. And I guess Justin Regan's mom was there. So they're talking about the skate park. And so word got around that, you know, because I think I called Justin out on like a Facebook page or something. <laughs> yeah. Instagram page or something, and uh-huh. his mom's seen it. And I was basically calling for his head, like, hey, Van should fire him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so these ladies are talking. One of the ladies says to Justin Regan's mom, so is your son going to get fired? <laughs> so my wife comes home and starts telling me about this, and I'm like, uh. So I told her, I said, well, that was me. <laughs> She's like, you can't do that. <laughs> I mean, I got scolded by my wife. Did but. You? But I was pissed, you know, because why would why do we need the same thing as every other skate park, and why do we need another comp or you know eleven foot pool? Is it possible that we've just been um, influenced by corporate decisions so long that we just we that now we all want the same thing that we just want we don't want any surprises we just want yeah so so the actual riders who grew up in that atmosphere and that environment that now that's how they design parks is you know I've got into it with Lance and Grosso about it 
And, you know, they were, Lance ended up walking off the job because he kind of got stuck in the middle. And, you know, his, his idea, they, they, you know, didn't want to listen to him, basically. And um, he ended up walking off that job. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the repercussions were of that. He still designed skate parks and stuff. You know, I have full confidence in Lance. But, you know, they keep building the same thing over and over. And it's like, why? Build something different. You know, yeah. all, the, all the skate park designers, it's like they keep building. Yeah, because it's not just there. It's everywhere. It's everywhere, yeah. man. It's Anywhere like, where you go. look, an amoeba. Like, great. An amoeba with a waterfall. Right. It's like, great. Who cares? Right. You know, so, I mean, I'm fortunate that we had, you know, there's like 10 backyard pools made for skateboarding. All the boutique bowls. Yeah. Yeah. All within like, you know, minutes of my house. So, right. You know, I just kind of like stayed there. You know? No crowds. No crowds. You could go skate with your friends and, you know, barbecue and have a good time. Yeah. Burger's pool. Uh, Joker's pool. Yeah. Punker's pool. Punkers, yeah. Um, you got chicken right there. Chicken's. Yeah. Bible bowl. Yeah. Dave and Santa Ana. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you think of all those pools, with the exception of um, uh, what was the first one? Oh, uh, Jokers? No, the Amoeba. Um, oh, uh, Burgers? Burgers. Yeah. Yeah, with the exception of Burgers, you know, because that was an Amoeba. And that was another thing when he's built That's Obstacle uh, City, too. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't mind the obstacles. Like, you know, I love, like, lights and steps and stairs and love seats and you know, death boxes. I love all that stuff. I just like don't like the hips. Right. You know, like like just put a long wall somewhere in there. You know. Right. Right. Um, like pull one hip out. You know. Right. I feel like obstacles can make make it kind of a prison though. Like. Yeah. Because you have to do the one line. I've seen Belmar do these lines and things that like I wrote a thing my whole life and then Belmar would go in there and do these lines I never thought you could do. Uh -huh. And if he had like a Love scene in his way, he wouldn't be able to do that. You know what I mean? Like it's endless when you have less obstacles. Which right back to less is more. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Exactly. Um, so you but, can ride the thing way longer, not get bored of it. I think I need to stop eating. <laughs> Let's take a pause. Oh, I'm good. Yeah, so, you know, we're stuck with all these shitty skate parks. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, and, and and now they're, like, tearing them down and rebuilding them because they were shitty in the first place. Right. That was interesting, that one. I didn't understand why they took it down. And I heard they're going to put, like, a big a park series-style thing in there, which that kind of made sense. I mean, that's that leads us to the Olympics. Yeah. What do you think about all that stuff? What do you think about... Skateboard in the Olympics. <clears throat> you know what? It's a. Uh, yeah. There's so many different avenues of thought on that. You know, there's like the hardcore guys that, you know, skateboarding is not a sport. Mm hmm. Well, what's the, de the definition of sport? You know, it's competition, sport. You know, and then there's people that should, oh, there shouldn't be competition, you know. It's so subjective. You know, unless yeah. it's downhill racing or. Whatever, it's subjective. You know, should skateboarding be in the Olympics? Why not? Who cares? Yeah. You know, 
Um, I did a I did a demo for the U.S. Olympic Committee in 1978, 77 maybe. Um, wow, that's cool. Yeah, to try and get skateboarding into the Olympics. That's when it all kind of started. Yeah, the thoughts. Yep. And um, so I did a demo for the U.S. Olympic Committee, and you know, <clears throat> show them you know what the disciplines of skateboarding are or whatever. And I you know, I could care less either way. You know, I mean, t to me, I love competition you know whether it's boxing snow skiing you know motorcycle racing car racing I, I love I enjoy competition so to have skateboarding in there you know what if it's gonna advance and help skateboarding because I mean look how many deaths skateboarding died you know I mean look what happened yes. to the industry so many times so many times yeah. up and down yeah yeah so if it's gonna help the industry and you know, it's going to put money in kids' pockets, you know, and there's coaches that are getting paid, yeah. you know, what whatnot. It's like, you know, what's wrong with that? I mean, if it's going to help the economy, it's going to help people and, you know. Right. So but is it. that skateboarding? To you? Not not, um, not like you're saying for everybody, but for you, is that skateboarding? To, be, to have it be a job, you know, like your job as an engineer. I mean, yeah. to travel to different cities and to skateboard and to get paid to be a skateboarder and... Is that what you want skateboarding to be? Would you, would you want that for yourself? I mean, um, not, not me, not today. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> as a kid, when I was you know 16, 17 years old, doing demos, thinking like, well, I might go to the Olympics. Um, you know, it, it's so subjective, and I, you know, like I said, I could care less. You right. know, I'm not going to put a stink up about it either way. Right. I think it's great if it happens. If it doesn't happen, then so be it. But you know. Skateboarding's come a long ways yes. since, you know, and you think of it, it is such an infant. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's, yes. we're like 60 years in. only. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I mean, I mean, there's boards that went back to the 30s, you know, th th things that people stood on with wheels on it back yes. in the 30s. But, but the actual skateboard was really not till probably 55 or something, you know, mm -hmm. surfers. <clears throat> So here we are, you know, what are we, 60 years later, Right. you know, just over 60 years. So it's, you know, there's still a lot. <laughs> I mean, if you look, look how much skateboarding changed from like 1960 to nine, nine, 65 to 75. Okay. You know, I mean, it changed so much with the, you know, the, the kicktail came out, yes. the urethane wheel came out yes. the dual action truck came out right um uh the wider truck came out yep but and then you look at how fast then right like right after 75 yeah look how fast like overnight how wide boards became i know like that you know, know. yeah and there's a lot of companies that lost their ass they were kind of late bloomers right <clears throat> um you know a perfect example um, you know, I was riding for Santana at the time. And they is, that made, the, is that the guys that make those really bitching trucks? The Santana Chewy trucks. I have one of those in my car. Yeah. Do you really? Yes. So, you know, they were trying to develop the Chewy truck, and American Magnesium was trying to develop their truck. And I worked with... American Magnesium was part... Somehow tied into Santana somehow. One of the owners, I think, branched off and started that or something. Um, 
and Chewie was doing his truck. So I was, you know, riding those things and giving my input and stuff on them. But it was like overnight, by the time they were ready to release those, they were obsolete. Why is that? Because the wide truck came in those, oh, like, just like overnight. That's one of my favorite trucks. <laughs> they're perfect, great for slalom, man. They're so like, turny. I won't put anything else on a cruiser except the Santana. Really? Yeah, I, I collect them. I need a set, man. <laughs> Chuck Holtz had a box of them. I, I got some of those. Really? Yeah. I think he still has some. He might. He probably <clears throat> held a few for himself. Yeah. Yeah. I need a set Nothing of Nothing turns like that truck. Yeah. And you know the rubbers that they made for it? Uh-huh. They still work. Really? They did not degrade. It was real rubber. That's why. why. Yeah. It didn't, you know, it's like, it's like when they start putting different chemicals in to change the compound. Start cracking. Yeah, they turn all hard and yeah. crack and stuff, but real yeah. rubber will... I got some of those too. Chuck sold me some uh, rubbers. I bought a bunch of those. Wow. Yeah. They got the bottom, that little bottom aluminum plate that yeah. goes in there and a Healy coil that the thing goes in. Yeah. And I kept telling them, that ain't going to work. Mm-hmm. Like it's so, it's <laughs> like they were trying to get rid of that whole nut on the bottom thing. Okay. You know, because if you look at, if you think about it, up to that point, that's most of the trucks had, you know, a kingpin, yes. a bolt with a nut on the bottom and the and the two bushings True. squished in between, in between, you know? Right. So they did that whole thing with the helicoil or whatever, whatever to try and keep it tight. Right. I love but, those trucks. you know, the technology, I mean, that overnight, you know, the white truck came in, those companies that poured so much money into trying to develop their new thing. Right. <clears throat> obsolete. Right. And it happened with a lot of, you know, look how many new camp- companies sprung up at that time. Right. You know? Well, they got wide, but then they kind of, it all died. The parks died, and then they got narrow again. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I and mean, they put a kicktail on each end. Yes. Um, yes. You know, it's funny, cause, and Chuck, Chuck Holtz always denies this, that he said this, but he said to me one day, he held up a board, and he said, one day all skateboards will look like this. Really? Have a... Have a two tails? Two tails. Wow. And I was like, you're crazy. And he doesn't, he says he doesn't ever remember saying that, huh. but... You know, and look, yeah. they do. Yeah. <laughs> what a bummer. I don't. <laughs> I refuse to ride them. I, I can't. It just, it confuses me. And I got to have a board with shape. Right. You know, it, it's like a woman with hips, you know, and curves. And, you know, they just ride better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, straight. <laughs> like, right. I know what you mean. When you're tail dropping or something, you look down. You're like, is that the nose or is that the tail? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I still ride an 18 and a half inch wheelbase. Okay. You know, I, I never could adapt to small boards. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm trying to get somebody to make a mold because it's hard to get a board. Right. I, I You know, I rode the same board I rode. What were you riding? What are you I, riding right now? I, well, I rode a Skate Master tape board. I was like Tater's. You had a tape board? I was Tater's only team rider. That's killer. <laughs> yeah, for years. And so, you know, I rode those and I had a stack of them that lasted me until I ran out. And then... Uh, <clears throat> I went to Jerry Madrid and got some longboard blanks. Yeah. And, you know, different cut, mold, though. Yeah, different mold. And everything has so much concave, you yes. know. And I don't like concave. The thing about Tater's board, it was came out of that old, I think it was the Madrid M Tech 2 mold or something. It had this, like, the, uh, the, the front third of the board had a bend in it. Okay. Turned up. Okay. And so it changed the radius of your trucks. Okay. It changed the turning radius. Because the thing would move the truck. It was, you know, it was, it was like a lower center of gravity yeah. in the middle. It yeah. kind of dropped, you know? Yeah. So it, it added steering to the front truck so you could ride an 18 and a half inch wheelbase. 
uh-huh. but it still turned like a 15 inch board. Tire turn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I got you know I've always had kind of a wide stance, and um, I just love that board, and so I've struggled. You know, there was a time when like I didn't even have a board, and you couldn't buy anything but a popsicle stick or a longboard. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I finally just went to Jerry Madrid one day, and I'm like, dude. Help me out, man. You can just sell me one of those blanks sure. and let me just go cut my own board out so I can skate because, sure, yeah. you know, and he did. You know, because at, at that time, you had, like, the little tongue depressor decks yeah. or you had long boards, and there was nothing in between. No no old school, huh? Yeah. You, well, you just couldn't find a, like, 36-inch no board, hmm. you know, with shape. Because you know, nobody was riding them or what? Yeah. Well, the, mar- the market, you know, kind of determined that. Yes, of course. <clears throat> a lot because, you know, the guys that kept skating, you know, could adapt to that. Yeah. Or something. To most, some level. M- most could. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly, to some level. Or you had, like, the guys that were, you know, just going to ride a cruiser board, you know, so they just rode their long 40-inch board or whatever, you know. Right. But me, I just always, I refused to adapt, you know. I never learned a knee slide. I never learned to ride a short. I mean, skateboarding is what it is to you, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Why why not? I mean, why should you change it? Yeah, why should I have to conform to their standards? I don't know. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, Jerry must still have that mold. We uh, recently, we looked for it, man. We tore his warehouse apart. He's like, (laughs) I think that might be up there. No. Maybe this is it. No, we found the small version of it. So, and I've I've been working with Chuck Holtz, trying to get Chuck to... What is it now? Because you know what? I went to Jerry's a long time ago, and I bought about 500 boards with no graphics on them. Uh And they're every shape and size. Some are from, like, a long time ago. And I think literally that whole bottom shelf, I don't know if you remember seeing it, but there's this whole bottom shelf of stuff that nobody wanted to touch. I was like, I want all that stuff. I went... just hoping there'd be a gem in there. Uh-huh. I'll have to look through my stuff. Maybe I have one of those. Oh, man. <laughs> You'll know. I'll take some snapshots of the stuff, and I'll send it to you. So that mold, I think he did several boards in that. Um, I think there was the, I want to say the Jim Gray stretch. Okay. Um, Might have came out of that mold. Um, the Mike Smith stretch. Uh, I might have some of that stuff. Yeah, the Mike Smith stretch came out of that mold. Yeah. The I think there was a Sam Cunningham stretch that came out of that mold, maybe. Okay. Uh, you say it's 18 wheel? 18 wheel base? 18 and a half. I think it's like 18 and a half. 18 and three. I'll eighths, measure maybe. them and see what I got. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. you'll know that there's like a bend back behind the truck, yeah. behind the front truck. Yeah. There's a bend. Oh. And it's just, it's ever so slight. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably like three degrees or something. But, I mean, it just makes all the difference in the you world. You want to go home and look at it now. You know, it's it's funny because that board, it's for sliding. Man, I could, I could throw like a frontside thruster up and just like slide up a wall, hit the coping, you know. And, and, Seriously. And I haven't been able to do that. Like, mm. for some reason, that board is just because it was so low center of gravity. Mm. It's just weird. I mean, it's it changed my whole skateboarding. My skateboarding is just like, you know suffered because of you don't have that <laughs> I don't have what you I, just like wore the other ones out basically I got a new old stock one that's twisted oh. that shouldn't matter here do you want that if you want to clear our plates that's fine oh, are we, is that good yeah I think so yeah um, I actually just came to get your basket okay I know you guys are cleaning up we're, we're done if you need to alrighty I'll be right back 
Okay. Um, I have a new old stock one that's twisted. Yeah. That I've kept just to, to make a copy of. That's what I'm saying, because you could make a mold from that. Well, I've told, I've, I've been asking Chuck for over a year, two years to work on this thing for me. And then I've recently talked to Jerry about doing it. And, you know, Chuck's real busy with life, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I think Jerry might do it. There's a, there'll be a market for it. Right. Once somebody rides that board, right. they'll go like, especially older guys yes. that struggle with what's available to them. Yes. Right. You know, and it's like, you, you get on this board, I swear, man, it changes your, it just. I, I feel that there's a market for that, meaning that, I can't tell you how many people I run into that are our age, who are battling high blood pressure or whatever. They don't really like exercise. And I, and I, and I try to build them boards like that to, and sometimes I just give it to them. Like a big old long board, but it doesn't look like a long board. It looks mm -hmm. like an old school board, but it's, you know. And a lot of them get on those things and have good success with their health, you know, just rolling around a park like this or whatever. Yep. Or, yeah. We used to skate in this park over by the library. Yeah. Those hills. There's these big dirt hills. We used to go <laughs> dirt boarding over there. We used to terrorize this park. In fact, when first, when they first started talking about building a skate park in Huntington Beach, there's a ditch over off Slater. Okay. And I'm like, just concrete that ditch. There's barely any water runs through that thing. Mm -hmm. It's like basically just run off, you know? Yeah. I'm like, just concrete that ditch right there. The That'd hole's dug. Yeah. But no, they build a curb. All right, Take it. I'm picking at it, but go. Self-control. There you go. Thank you. Well? Yes, I am. So what they do? They 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 close for a certain amount of time of the day or something like that? Or? Uh, I don't know what time they close. Probably three o'clock or something. Oh, I didn't know that. Parks open all day. They right. Park probably close at nine at night when it gets dark or something. Yeah. So you need that board. You're looking. I kind of went through that same thing. Like I went to, I went to everybody because Belmar made a board that I liked, and then I went to Chuck and I went to Jerry. Now Belmar says there's like ten of them in a in a, in a trailer somewhere. I'm like, I, I, I want every single one of those. I mean, I'll, I'll buy every single <laughs> one. <of those>. <laughs> <laughs> Belmar actually. So when I got my when I got that first blank from Jerry. I went over to Belmar's, and we, you know, laid out what I wanted and cut it. And I think I did that two or three times with him when he had his shop. He's still got a little wood thing going now. He's doing some, somehow really? he's got some wood going, yeah. He's got, I don't know where it's set up, but he's actually got some tools set up. And, really? Yes. Yeah. I didn't know. Last time I seen him, I don't think he was doing anything. Right. Yeah. I talked to him maybe uh, three or four months ago. He had a very small, he was actually doing some wood stuff. I don't know how he was doing it or where he was doing it, but he... Well, know. that's good he did. I mean, he's a great, he's a great, you know, there's those guys like him and Chuck that, 
they're craftsmen. They're just not guys collecting a paycheck to make skateboards, you yeah. know, like, like most manufacturers are. Yeah. Like those two guys are craftsmen and they love their craft so much that, you know, they just were one man operations, you know? Same with Paul Schmidt. Yes. You know, Paul Schmidt had to, you know, make loads of skateboards, but when it comes to just that love and passion for craftsmanship, you know? Right. Those three guys. Dalmar's boards, they're so beautiful that, I'm not joking, like he should have charged three times what he charged for those things, you know? And he tried to sort of come in there and, at market value, but I felt like they were above, you know, like you say, in the, in the, you look at them, they look like beautiful pieces of furniture. Yeah. You know, the stains he did and the lacquer jobs, I mean, intense. Yeah. I got a ton of those things. I got a bunch of Dalmar. Really? Oh, yeah. I got, I mean, I have stacks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever he'd sell me, I'd buy it. <laughs> Yeah, I need a new board. I mean, the one I ride right now, you know, it's rideable, but I need, you know, I just want that old mold. I got to get on Jerry about it. We talked about it pretty much, and I think Jerry will do it for me. That's killer. Yeah. He could totally do it. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? I mean, I'll buy boards. I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll make boards and sell them, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, I'm, and you know, I'm not going to have the exclusive to the mold. I mean, he can do it sell boards too but do you think maybe have them generate a mold from the thing you got to reverse yeah engineer basically yeah oh they could totally do that yeah yeah i mean the only bummer is he can't really reverse that because it's twisted, twisted. it's yeah. twisted right. but he can take all the the you know specs off of it and make a new one i'm wondering Ooh. yeah couldn't you somehow have some dude measure that thing and then untwist it and then with a computer sort of generate what the mold would be Maybe uh, one of those one of those 3D printers or something like that. Yeah, probably. And then throw that into a thing to make the mold. There's got to be a way. I mean, I still got old ones. I still got like probably three old ones that are beat. You know, the nose and tails are beat up, but the rest of it's all good. Oh, yeah. That they could probably. That's just all they would use. need. Yeah. Omar yeah. <clears throat> told me you could make your own molds with with a bondo, and he said you could just like take your car and just you know put all your plies in and the glue and just park your car on top of the thing. That's how Paul Schmidt started. He had a, I think he had a Volkswagen van. <laughs> and he used to lay up skateboards underneath his Volkswagen van in, in Florida. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's a press. Yeah. You know? Put and, a couple thousand pounds on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really appreciate you um, meeting with me. Um, I feel like we could talk for a long time on... I'd talk all day about many skateboarding subjects. and music, man. <laughs> I mean, it's two things that we both have a passion for, you yeah. know? Yeah. I always love seeing your posts on social media and, and uh, you know, you're a bit of an enigma. I mean, I never really get to see... I re you know, this is the other thing you influenced me was photography. I remember seeing you at the combi one day and I was looking at your flash setup and you are talking to me and just watching you shoot. And I kind of copied some of that, you know. Um, do you do much of that anymore, shooting? At I miss shooting, you know. <clears throat> when I was skating a lot, I always had my camera with me, you know. So when I got tired and worn out, I'd shoot. But, you know, now that I don't skate much, you know, right. I don't shoot much. Because you're sitting around. My, my kid, my kid's a photographer. He's a professional photographer. Right. He's right. an award-winning photographer. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he... Um, did he get that from you or did he study or both or no, what? No, he got it from me, you know. He, he has no studying whatsoever, no schooling whatsoever, but he's... Uh, he kind of just self-taught, you know, and he um, he became Nigel Houston, a professional skateboarder, you know, personal filmer. Okay. 
and um, they filmed, he filmed like half of Nigel's video part for Element Skateboards. And it was like a four minute video part mm-hmm. where most skaters did like a two minute part, three minutes tops, okay. you know? And it would take guys like two years. You need to take everything. I'm actually going home. Do you need anything? Oh, more than welcome to stay. no, we're, we're good. Thank okay. you. We'll see you guys next Thanks, time. Thanks, Diana. Sorry to um, You know, it would take guys two years to film a two minute part. Yes, I you know. know. And my son and Nigel went out and like in eight months, they filmed a four minute part. Wow. I mean, they would go out six nights, a lot. six nights a week, man, from like, they'd take off at midnight and they'd go film all night long, you know? <clears throat> um, but that that part ended up winning video of the year when it came out. Wow. My kid filmed like half of that. And then the next year, when, when the X Games used to do that real street video, where you'd film, you like two months before the X Games, you would film a one minute video part or a 30 second part or whatever it was. Um, and then you'd submit them and then they'd vote on it. And so it was kind of like the skater and the filmer won. Mm-hmm. Well, they won the following year, they won that. Mm-hmm. Um, which was pretty prestigious, because that's like, you know, winning the Academy Award and the yes. Golden Globe, yes. you know? And so my son, on, on, the, on the X Games thing, I think he filmed like all but one of the tricks, you know? Okay. Um, <clears throat> and so the, he's kind of parlayed that in and started working for musicians. And um, he works for uh, uh, G-Eazy. So okay. this rapper, mm-hmm. the guy's like, you know, the next big thing. And um, he, <laughs> great story. He, G-Eazy has a new album coming out. Mm-hmm. Does a single with his girlfriend, Halsey. And Halsey's even bigger than him. Like, okay. she, she sells out the Staples Center. Okay. Um, so they do a duet together. And they, uh, the record label pays, like, some company, like, a couple hundred thousand dollars to make a video. Okay. G sees the video, and he's like, that sucks. I don't want that. Like, don't put that out, you know, to burn it. <laughs> so he says, I'll make my own video. So okay. he grabs my kid and his girlfriend. They, oh. fly to, they fly to New York City, and they film a video, and some other guy cuts it, edits it, and um, it comes out December 1st, and now, what are we, nine months later, 10 months later, it's got over 260 million views wow. on YouTube. Wow. <laughs> it's like insane. That's amazing. You know, I mean, there's like Beatles songs that have... Haven't even hit 50 million, you know. Right. It's like 200, 260 million, you know. Right. Um, so he's works for G, and now he's working for Halsey too, and he travels around the world on private jets, right? And um, just living the high life. Makes I mean, that's more- the life, isn't it? Because he's making stuff that he sounds like he loves to do, and getting paid to do it. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And it's you know, it's like he's kind of really followed in my footsteps in a way and I'm very proud of him not, not so much that he's done what I did because what he's done is way bigger than anything I ever did mm-hmm. I mean he skateboarding he was a, a state champion mm-hmm. um, he uh, you know working for these musicians nowadays just you know he's at the you know at the top of his game yes. you know right now yes and it's you know things that I did but he's done them on a far grander scale you mm. know so, so you're proud of him. I'm really proud of him. Yeah. You know, I mean, to be able to, you know, you know, nowadays it's hard just to get a job. Yeah. You know, and even if you do have a degree, you know. Yes. There's no guarantee. Yeah, there's no guarantees, no. and he has single-handedly, you know, made a career for himself. And um, I mean, he runs with some, you know, he runs in a pretty elite crowd. Crowd of people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like he. He went to the Playboy party. 
invited to the Playboy party. Wow. You know, the annual Midsummer's Night <coughs> Dream Playboy uh -huh. party out, out in Vegas. And it's like, well, it's pretty heavy. A lot of boys have thought about that. Yeah, it's like, you know, he'll call up, uh, what's that one rapper's name? Uh, 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 sh guy's huge. <laughs> Little, uh, <coughs> Little Wayne. Mm. <laughs> like, call him, Little Wayne, yo, Wayne, you want to go skating? <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. You know, yeah. But good for him, you know. Exactly. He's not at home, you know, smoking weed and playing video games, <laughs> you know, begging me for money. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, I could ask you a million questions, but... Uh... I know. I could talk all day long. <laughs> you know, skateboarding is endless. Timeless. Music. <coughs> Timeless. Music, you know, too. Endless, yeah. What, you know, you've seen it all change. What is, what's changed in music? <sighs> you know, it's... I tell you, man... The, the whole rap and hip-hop thing has just really taken over. Like, I mean, you look at the, the Grammys, how it used to be, you know, right. it, was like, it was like rock and roll. You know, rock and roll dominated the thing, and I think when rock and roll came in, like, all those, you know, all the Motown thing and all that kind of got pushed back. Yes. You know, and then the rock and roll took over, and then... You know, and then you, you had the disco. Our whole lives was rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's all we really knew. But now it's like the whole rap and hip hop thing. You look at, it's like, mm -hmm. now there's like just one section for the rock and roll. And it's like they win their thing. And now right. it's like everything else is just dominated right. by rap and hip hop. And it's like, you know, that ain't my thing. I, you know, I still play in a punk, I still play three chords in a punk rock band. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> Drums, bass, guitar. Yeah, and that's what I like, you know. That's actually, I mean, I love, I love like '60s rock, '60s mm -hmm. and '70s rock, mm -hmm. you know, Small Faces, um, uh, Vanilla Fudge. Mm. Um, I'm going back now. I just love just old rock and roll. You know, it was so good, mm. and those musicians were so good. They were. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, they, they, they don't make it like they used to. No, you know. It changed. <clears throat> yeah. Can you make good music on Ableton Live and uh, push? <laughs> it's amazing that they can. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't understand it. Because there's, there's score. <sighs> I've watched movies now. And it's obviously scored EDM. So. Yeah. And it does evoke emotions. Yeah. Um, but you think it can be done? Do you think it, you think music can be made on? I think it's lost its soul. You know, it's not. It's all computer generated now, you know. I mean, it's, it's, but didn't they say that about the electric guitar? Yeah. Didn't they say, oh, electric guitar? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's not gonna last. That's not gonna fly. That's a soulless electricity. What? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just asking. Technology, you know. <laughs> We're like a couple old guys complaining about the, <laughs> the kids over there on their skateboards. <laughs> yeah. I just wonder because I know you're around it. I mean, you. You're really around that. You have to be around it because of your work. I mean, you, you, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I listen to fucking AM radio, talk radio and traffic reports. Everybody in audio is that way, right? <laughs> Nobody in audio listens to music, do they? I, you know what? I, I'll get a new CD or something, and it's... Um, Where do you buy those at? I know. <laughs> Amoeba? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll get something, and it'll like... You know, you know who I love? 
is the Helicopters. Helicopters is a Swedish rock and roll band. And um, they play, like, they can they barely speak English, but they can sing English. And they're, like, such a great throwback to what once was, you know? Just just good old rock and roll. And um, they, they broke up for about 10 years, but they just got back together recently. Mm. And um, They've it, captured that thing? Oh, man, it's just, just dirty rock and roll, you know? Like... Um, There's something about that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just like I, that, that kind of like Hendrixy swagger to it, you know, Aerosmith, but you know, with just kind of a modern day kick to it, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like a little punk edge to it or whatever. But I just love good old rock and roll. That's cool. Yeah, you know what? YouTube helicopters. I'm gonna try to high visi- high visibility. That's a good one. I'll it check is. That out. It is one of the best rock and roll albums ever. I mean, it's I'll just. It is so good. Now that, you say that, you in the business, you're a musician in your own band, YouTube helicopter, you can come with a... I know. (laughs) (laughs) Here, I'll I'll burn burn you a copy. (laughs) Right? And that had to affect all that, right? That's why everybody's on the road, which probably helps your job. Yeah, no, but yeah, exactly. Live music. I mean, that's, that's how I make a living, you know, building stages and sound and lights and stuff, but... Yeah, I mean, the music industry, the way it is nowadays, you can't make money off no. of sales. No. You know, it's just there's no money in it. And the guys that used to make money off sales, they don't make it anymore. they got to hit the road and yep. stay on the road yep. their whole lives, basically. Yep. It's like a life sentence. And then it's hard for, like, you know, it's hard for some bands because it's, you know, I mean, you got bands out there that have been making music for decades that, you know, they can't play you know, I mean, there's bands that used to play stadiums and arenas, yeah. headline them, and now, you know, they can barely just fill a, you know, casino bar, you know, and yeah. it's sad. I know, I know. But, you I know, remember uh, being on the road in the 90s, and I remember I talked to a guy who was a road guy for ELP, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Yeah. He was talking about getting the gong on the little tiny riser and uh-huh. like, wow. <laughs> doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah, just escape because I because to me they were gods. Yeah, you know, ELP and all that. You know, I tell you that watching Don Kirshner's rock concert in the '70s and seeing the flying piano out at that US Festival or whatever yeah. it was, you know. Yeah. And it's like I mean I remember when Brain Salad Surgery came out. Yeah. Such a radical album, you yeah. know. I mean it was so. Uh, you know, that's like just classic rock, yes. man. Yep. So yep. good. I, I, I grew up in the 70s when I, some of the first concerts I went to, I used to go to the Golden West Ballroom in Norwalk. Mm. And uh, seen the Ramones there, seen UFO wow. there, seen the Runaways there. Wow. Um, and Long story short, I seen the Ramones in Huntington Beach in 76. Yeah. They played the Golden Bear. I didn't go to that show. Okay. But they played a local street fair the next day. It was called the Festa Fair. It was off Beach in Atlanta. There's a track of homes there now. And I'm 15 years old, and I'm walking around, like, chasing chicks and trying to get loaded and trying to, you know, get somebody to buy me a beer. Probably succeeding on all accounts. Yeah, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, just being the little degenerate I was. Yeah. And um, I remember hearing this god-awful noise. I'm walking by and seeing these guys with, like, long hair and leather jackets. Just, you know, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And, you know, in 76, I didn't understand that yet, no, you know? No, 
because I was still listening to, you know, Hendrix and Zeppelin or whatever. Yep. And um, so about six months later, they came back. Thank you. They came back and they played the Golden West Ballroom in Norwalk with Van Halen opening. Whoa. And so I went to go see Van Halen because we used to go in see Van... Norwalk? Yeah, in Norwalk. So we went to go see Van Halen and um, Van Halen ended up not playing that show. It was with the Dogs and the Ramones headlining. Hmm. And when the Ramones came out and it was like, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And I looked up and I'm like, hey, that's those same like dirty, stinky bikers that I seen last year. But then this time I sat there and watched them. And the next day I went out and bought a leather jacket. And it was like, <laughs> it was like <laughs> changed that. my life forever. It was you like know? that. Yeah. I mean, it wow. was like that. That is what, that was my, you know, uh, identifying moment in you know, mm. punk rock for me. It's like, mm. wow, this is it right here, mm. you know. That spoke, spoke to you. Yeah. And then, you know, that followed with, I mean, gosh, back then, like Joe Jackson and Elvis Costello. Yeah, Joe Jackson, and, what a talent, right? Gosh. I'm a songwriter. I went and saw him, like, about a year or so ago. He was playing out in Riverside at the Fox Theater. And Joe doesn't tour much. No. Like, not with that band, with, you know. Right. Doing, doing all his old stuff. And I'm like... You know, I, I seen a, a, an ad on online for it. I'm like, fuck, I gotta go. Yeah. So I start calling around trying to find somebody to go with me. Nobody wanted to go. And I'm really? Like, See, Joe Jackson? Tickets. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm, I'm going. So I called a buddy of mine and I said, hey, you don't happen to have a line on maybe getting some a couple passes or tickets to uh, Joe Jackson out in Riverside. He goes, hold on, let me make a call. Calls me back. He goes, okay, you got two tickets. And I'm like, no shit. And this was like at three in the afternoon. Wow. And I'm like, and I'm calling around trying to find somebody to go with me. I went by myself, drove out to Riverside. Are you serious? Sat How was it? Oh, gosh. It was, you know, Graham may be his bass player. To me, is probably the greatest bass player ever. I mean, you listen to his bass lines on Look Sharp and, uh, Look Sharp and I'm a Man, those mm -hmm. two albums. And he played on Jump and Jive, too, I think. Um, I mean, just so good. Yeah, like a rock. Yeah, and I just sat there. Like, I mean, I'm in the, on the front row in the balcony by myself, mm. just like, you know, listening to this, this like, it's perfect, you know? He sounded good. It's perfect, you know, sounded like the albums, you know? Yeah. So he's a real musician. Yeah. Him, I've never seen him live. So. Him and Elvis Costello right. were two of my just favorites, you know? Monster writers. And the Pretenders. Artists. I love Chrissy Hine, yep. man. She's yep. so good. And then, you know, Devo and Ramones. You know, that whole early punk thing, Yep. you know, like, you know, like I don't did we even know it was punk? Were they calling it punk yet? I guess they were. You we still listen to KRQ. They called it punk, but we didn't know if it was TVOD was punk or if it was, uh, yeah. like you say. I, I saw Quiet Riot. Quiet Riot was punk. That's what they build it? Well, I mean, it wasn't the norm. That's true. It wasn't what was. It wasn't Led Zeppelin or... Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, here they came out, like, you know like neon colors that's and, true and spandex pants and you right. know it just it just changed it's like Van Halen um, Rodney on the Rock was the first person to play Van Halen right it was so different right. you know and that was really I mean you know it, it, it obviously it's not punk but yes. at that time it was just part of that whole new wave there's of, nothing like it yeah yeah you know yeah but yeah I saw Quiet Riot with um, with actually the Alley Cats opening, and the Alley Cats are great, you know, punk right. band from wow. from LA. I saw a thing with you on your feed with the the Blasters. I remember seeing them back at the Palomino years ago. They're so good. Yeah, man. I saw them also at the Roxy. 
Yeah, that yeah. talk about a band of musicians. I mean, you know, John Baz is like, you know, and Phil and Dave. And, yeah. I mean, gosh, those guys. I mean, that's to me. That is so Amer American music. That's what they say at the beginning, remember? Yeah, yeah. They say, we're the Blasters, we play American music. <laughs> yeah, it's like... And back in the eight, early uh, 80s and set, late 70s. Yeah, I mean, if you want... You know, I think if you wanted to put, uh, you know, in a time capsule, the music that defines America, American music, the Blasters, because yeah. they really, you know, if you listen to them, they play that 50s... 60s rock or whatever you know that early rock and roll mm. but then kind of punk too yes. like right you know yes. they they a hybrid they bridged the, the gap yep you know kind of remind me of stevie ray a little bit but yeah. also like you say the more aggressive yeah mm -hmm. kind of rockabilly kind of not uh -huh. you know stevie ray there's another one you know yep. Yep. gosh i got to see him uh wow listen to that can you hear that what is it <laughs> Motorcycles. <laughs> um, Going to the beach. But uh, Stevie Ray, so um, uh, the Chili Peppers, I worked for the Chili Peppers, yeah. I worked for TSOL, I worked for the Dickies, I worked for Thelonious Monster. All four of those bands um, had the same booking agent. Okay. And that booking agent used to book Stevie Ray Vaughan and Alice Cooper. Oh. Um, so whenever those Alice Cooper, Stevie Ray came to town, yeah. we always got to go see him for oh, free. Or if we were on tour, that's you know, killer. we had a night off or something. Um, what year was it? What year was the last time you saw Stevie? Uh, oh gosh, what year did he die? Like, I can't even remember what year. I remember he seeing died him now. at the Universal Amphitheater. No, no, I saw him at the Hollywood Bowl, and it was when he quit partying. I remember saying, sometimes you just got to come in from the party. And poor guy died, like maybe on that tour, huh? Might, might have been. Might have been months later. Yeah, months later on that same tour, I think it was. Um, yeah, I can't even remember now what, what year it was he died, but yeah, I used to see him. I mean, I seen him at Pacific Amphitheater with um, uh, Los Lobos oh, yeah. and Santana. Yeah. What a great show that was. And I seen him with Charlie Daniels out in um, Riverside or in San Bernardino at the Orange Show Fairgrounds. Mm. It was like, who was it? Charlie Daniels and somebody else. What a great show that I haven't heard was. that name in a long time. Um, seen him at the Greek Theater. Wow. Seen him somewhere in Texas once. We were on tour and we had a night off, so we went and seen him. Um, yeah, when you're on the road, there's some great act. As tired as you are, you drag yourself to go yeah. check it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it, though. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you a question um, because you're from here. I, when I was young, I was in a band. We played this nightclub. We, we, we played with the El Grupo Sexo. One of my all-time favorite bands. Oh, okay, and um, and we were called Exhibit A. We're just a bunch of you know. I remember high school. you guys. Yeah. No, I do. Oh, okay, okay. Play Safari Sam's. Yeah, yeah, and um, but there's some club. It was like in the middle of nowhere, and there's like this restaurant next to it. So we go to this club. They play with Al Grupo. We're, I think we open for them or whatever, and obviously we open for them. And then it's like this restaurant over here, and there's all these people dressed up like a steakhouse or something. Like that. Do you remember that club? Well. Let's see. Um, it wasn't Metal Art Country Club, was it? Hmm. I don't know. Because Metal Art Country Club had... It was right up the street. It was a golf course, you know, and they had like a... Uh, Sounds like that. They had a, um, you know, a big banquet room or whatever. That Was there mirrors behind the stage? No, it was a corner stage, and it almost looked like a barn that we were in. And Oh, uh, uh, was that Costa Mesa then? Was that the Tiki Bar? 
next mm. to the next to the cuckoo's nest then maybe concert factory on the no because i remember that place it wasn't that okay it was just some like place it was like sort of it looked almost like it was in irvine or something like that and there was like or or maybe even um somewhere where like they you know milk cows and pluck chickens i mean everything looked like that back then i'm talking 19 uh 83 and um yeah, an exhibit we, that we played at some club. I can't, I, for the life of me, I can't remember where it was, but I know it was California. We never toured. Um, and it, was, it was like, this was like a barn. The stage was like... It could have been the barn. There used to be, was it was called? I think it was in Irvine. Ah, it could have been I the barn in Irvine. Totally Irvine-ish. Yeah. <laughs> Probably was Is the that barn. what it was called? It called the barn? Oh, thank God. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> you know how many people I fucking asked that question to? Nobody could tell me the name of that. Yeah, place. I think it was over off of... Uh, it's we're, very we're, isolated, like desolate, yeah. like it's a in the airport, middle of nowhere. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it was over by El Toro Marine Base. Okay, that makes not, sense. No, not El Toro. What's the other one called? Um, El Toro is farther south. It was off Red Hill. Uh, um, this, it's where the it's where the blimps were, the hangars, just down the road from there. Yeah, Red Hill. It's like Red Hill Edinger, I think, or Red okay. Hill McFadden. That makes sense. It I was like middle of nowhere. Yeah, to me. I mean, because. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it was. It was like there was nothing else around, you know. Right. The closest housing track was, you know, a good whole block away or whatever. The freeway was... A, it, it was called a, a barn. I believe it was. Oh, that's yeah, it sounds Thanks, like dude. the barn. Thanks. I've been, I've been looking for that one forever. <laughs> I died not knowing what that place was. No, that's funny because... You don't save your flyers all the time. No, I do. Them. I collect our old flyers. Oh, you had all that shit? Yeah. I, and, and, like, I mean, I had a stack of them. And then all of a sudden, like, I... You know, somebody would call me and go, hey, man, I got this flyer. You know, if you guys want it. And I'm like, yeah, send it to me, you know. Oh, that's right. And that's then right. I started, like, you know, as, as with, the, with the digital age, and, um, you, you know, you find flyers on eBay or, yeah. you know, just on websites and stuff. So I started collecting flyers, and, and so I slowly, like, made a list of every show we ever played based on all the flyers. And wow. I think I have, I mean, I literally almost have every flyer from every show we ever played. Wow. From like 82 to 87, you know, that five-year span um, when, we, when we were playing a lot. Um, there's just a handful that I'm missing. Wow. Like our very first show, I'm missing that. Right. That was with a band called Power Trip at the Concert Factory. Wow. And Power Trip was uh, Jeff Dahl, who was in the Angry Samoans okay. at, at one time. Um, but yeah, I'm missing that flyer. I'm missing, I think, our second show up at the Cafe de Grand. Mm. Actually, it was our third show mm. up at the Cafe de Grand with Power Trip. They liked us so much, they invited us to come play with That's them up sweet. in LA. So our, our, our third show, we got to go play in Hollywood. That's right. We, we played with them one night. It was awesome. Um, we did three show. We had <laughs> three shows in one night. We oh, went up God. to LA. Yeah. We went out to the Valley and played with Power Trip and the Mentors at a private party okay playing around seven or eight and then when we went to the cafe de grand played again with somebody i don't remember and then after that we went into downtown la and yeah. played like an after hours like late night club <laughs> with somebody else like three shows in one night only a young LA. person could do that <laughs> yeah i couldn't do that today i barely do a 30 minute set nowadays <laughs> that's killer did you know when at that time you know back then Skating or playing music, did you know that you were in the good old days? I had no idea. You know, I, you know. I'm not who, saying these aren't the good old days too, but no, I'm just saying. But, but who knew that, like, you know, bands, like punk bands that started 
40 years ago, like the dam. The dam just started celebrating 40 years. Actually, wow. I think they're into their like 42nd year now. Wow. Um, Doesn't seem real. And they're still going. They just got a, made a new album with Tony Visconti. Mm. Tony produced like all the great Bowie albums, you know. Right. And they got a new album out with him. But, you know, who knew that they'd still be going or we'd still be skating? Right. You know? That's true. I never and, thought I'd. And, and who knew that it would evolve how it did? Like, I mean, look at, you know, like the mega ramp. Right. Like, I mean, that's, you know, guys, 27 foot high ramp and they're going 27 feet out. They're going 55 feet in the above, air. Yeah, right. Above the ground. Above the ground, yeah. I mean, that's insane. That's almost six stories right. on a skateboard. Right. You know? When you look at it, you almost can't tell what you're looking at. Yeah. Like on, on camera. Yeah, you, yeah. you to see it live. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah, fuck. that's a whole different thing, yeah. Um, it, it's like surfing too, like, you know, like when the first aerials started, you know, and they're just getting like a, a little yeah. out, and little now tiny, they're, yeah, yeah, and now they're just flying, right? You know, right. and and guys that are strapped in, you know, with foot straps and right. just, you know, the guys are they're riding hundred foot face waves now. <laughs> I know it's like a snowboarding kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's just insane, you know, and a lot of it is technology. You know, I yeah. mean, it's, it's, they've made better surfboards and skateboards and snowboards. They make better, you know, recording equipment. And, yes. You know, like this little thing right here you're recording with. I mean, that you reminds know, me of the old Tascam 244. Yeah. Which cost like 1600 bucks, you know, yeah. it's like this big, it had it plugged in the wall. This does four tracks. And, yeah. Technology. Higher, higher fidelity than the old stuff. Yeah. And you know what? This little recording is going to last forever, whereas our old tapes of it's our bands as we're sitting here, are, they're wearing out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like us, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, get on a skateboard over there. Get out of here, troublemaker. <laughs> That's what we've become. Damn kids. <laughs> no, but what's, what's so funny is because, like, you know, I work a lot of late nights. And, I, you know, it's like I'm, I'm not a morning person because I work right. till 2, 3, 4 in the morning. And it's like, you know, the lawnmower's going at 8 in the morning. The kids are out front playing on their skateboards. And it's like, damn fucking kids, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> like I've become everything I hated, you know. I used to work those kind of hours. Do you have like blackout curtains and soundproof double plane windows and all that? You kind of have to. I, I wish I did. I don't. Oh, man. That's rough. No, I'll sleep through anything. <laughs> you know, I, as long as I get five hours of sleep a night, I'm good. That's all you go on? About Thanks, that, dude. you know, when I'm working. But, you know, I mean, I'll do, like, I'll do that for months. And wow. then And then I'll just, like right now, I haven't worked for a week. I'm probably going to take two or three more weeks off and um, just kind of decompress. Yeah, you know? yeah. I do, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do 90-hour work weeks for... 13 weeks straight wow yeah and it's brutal you know and especially at my age so i you know i take and take a month off yeah then i'm broke sure. so, so then i gotta go back and do it again <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's actually my next big thing is going to be in november i'll work like i'll work about nine days and i'll do like 18 hour days oh yeah and it's just it's insane how do you get through that how do you i, I, I actually my eyes open i, I, I get a hotel room right up by the convention center and it's worth a hundred dollars a day to get an extra hour and a half sleep right. a night right you know you don't do you don't so you don't do that commute no i don't do go it. there you crash yeah i yeah. get I, I set my alarm clock for like 20 minutes before i got to be there 
I jump up, I jump in the shower. It's like I you're living on premise, basically. Yeah, that's um, and that's the only way I can do it. You know, I don't know how anybody else gets through it, but you know, I, I mean, I'll do that for nine days. I'll make just the most enormous, ridiculous amount of money with my triple time and mill penalties and things just compounding and mm. bonuses and yeah, you know, it's, yeah. I, I make a stupid amount of money and then I'll just take two weeks off and then I'll be broke. You know? <laughs> Gives you motivation but, to go back. You know what, though? I mean, it's what I do. It affords me enough time to do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. You you're know? like a doctor. You guys I, work I don't, really hard, and then you're off for like yeah. four days. I don't have an eight to five. You know, I work my ass off when I work, and then I take as much time off as I want or need. Right. Right. You know, it's got certain freedom there. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm. <sighs> I've never. I came straight out of high school and started working with and touring with bands. Wow. And I joined the union in 89, basically doing the same thing. But and I've had a little construction company, you know, on the side that, you know, when there's no shows and, you sure. know, I do my little construction thing. Um, take care of rental property. I'm like a handyman, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's always afforded me to be able to come and go as I please. You know, I've never had to punch a time clock a day in my life. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, right. I, I remember being on the road with the, this guy, Kazumi Watanabe, as a... A, sort of a high-tech roadie. I remember the days where everybody had racks? Yeah. So they used to pay me to like build racks for like the drummer. The drummer had two racks, a jazz drummer. Two racks. Uh -huh. All kinds of MIDI and all that stuff. But anyways, we're on the plane going to Japan and I see this guy up here and I'm like, that guy looks strangely familiar, you know? And then pretty soon I'm thinking, you know, that looks like a soy. And so, uh, turns out it was, you know? And we uh, landed in uh, Japan and I think he might have been with Lonnie, maybe. Lonnie Moto. Yep. And um, I remember when I tried to like talk to him and he didn't know who I was. He was like, you know, I don't think he even told me where they were going to be or whatever. But I remember they they rode like down the escalators on their skateboards. Not the escalator like that, but like literally the, the chrome part. Uh-huh, down the, the middle. Nagoya Airport, yeah, down the middle. Yeah. It's like back in around the same time you're talking, 89 or 90. Yeah. Do you still uh, tour? No, no, no. I just did that. I did that for maybe about four or five years when I was in my 20s. I didn't like it. It's hard. You know, people think touring is all sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The first year is great. Yeah. Maybe two years, but then after a while, it's like, I would actually get an aversion when I see a suitcase back then. Uh -huh. <laughs> no, but it's hard, man. Like you, because you, number one, you're not sleeping in your own bed. No. You're either on a tour bus. how nice the hotel is. Yeah. I have problems sleeping in my own bed. You, you, now you got to put me in a different bed every night or on a tour bus. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because, you know, you get up in the morning, you load in at 8 a.m., and then you, you know, you sound check at 4 in the afternoon, and then you have a bite to eat, and then yep. you do your show, and then you do your load out, and you're back on the bus by 2 a.m., and, yep. you know, you're asleep by 3 a.m., and you got to get back up at 7 a.m. And I was yep. like, it's fucking brutal, you know? It is. It's really hard, and, and you know, people think it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's like, no, man, you try and sleep whenever you can, and yes, you know, and and even if you're not at like, you know, even if you're not on a tour bus, or you're flying, it's still the same thing. I've done you're, both sides. Yeah, of that. yeah. Or yeah. if you're not doing one of those, you're doing a van and trailer tour, yes. where it's like you're just driving all the time, and you're like, you know, there's like six guys in a van. Yes. you know piled on top of each other and you get 
you know, I'll tell you a great story. Yeah. TSOL. <laughs> <laughs> this was with the old singer Jack. Uh-huh. And it's like, you know, they're not making a lot of money, and we have like a night off. And, um, you know, how old are you during this? Uh, this time I'm probably 25 or something. Okay. 23. Um, and, uh, you know, you, we have a night off. It's a, like a, tra- a travel night, a travel day. And so it's like, hey, you know, we're just going to get one hotel room and we take the mattresses off the beds. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you get two full size beds, throw the mattresses on the ground. Now you got four <laughs> beds, but you got six guys. Yes. You know, so somebody's got to double up. So I'm like sleeping with Joe Wood one night and I wake up in the, in the morning and Joe's like really hairy, man. He's like just, he's like a fucking gorilla, just head to toe hair. And I wake up and he's like fucking spooning me and his, 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 his arms over my head. And I wake up and there's just this big hairy arm in my face. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> Scared the shit out of him. I mean, luckily we had clothes on. Right. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's what it is. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, that's yes, fucking, you know. You get, you get, even on a good tour, if you're in some bougie hotel, and I would get excited when I'd see a laundromat. Yeah. But to me, that's a good, I get to wash my clothes today. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's the little things, you yeah, know. It's the little things, yeah. I remember being on tour back in the 80s, and it's like, you know, there's no cell phones, and so you'd always just look for a telephone to call home, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, I was notorious for just, like, we'd be playing, like, in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we're playing, you know, like, with the Chili Peppers, and you're playing in, like, the, the gymnasium on the basketball court. And, um, you, you, like, you're walking down hallways, and it's like, oh, look, there's the coach's office. It's like, just open the door, there's a phone. There's a phone? And, like, you just sit down, put your feet up on his chair, and call home to talk to mom or your girlfriend like or whatever. Feel like again. Yeah. It's like, coach comes in, hey, who the fuck are you? The guy, uh, Kazumi Watanabe, is a fusion guitar player, and he said a great thing about the road, and he, has, he had a Japanese accent. He's still alive. He said, you know, road like uh, men's prison. Yeah. It is. It's true, man. You're just stuck. <laughs> I got a little Joe Wood story for you before we go. Um, uh, I was at Skatopia, and Joe's riding. I used to ride with Joe. Not really. I mean, I was like the little kid, and he was the cool big kid in the Nazi helmet. Yeah, him and Perry. Perry Peterson. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I remember Joe finding out that I was a drummer. And um, he said, Honda, you're a drummer? I said, yeah, I'm a drummer, you know. And I was just like, I was, I was okay. I was, you know, two, maybe two years in the drum set. And he goes, oh, I got this band called The Hated, man. You should, you know, we need a drummer. Maybe come and audition for us. And I was all, I'm not going to play with you, Joe. You know. <laughs> you know, you don't know. When you're young, you don't know who you're. I tell you, Joe is one of the most talented people I know. I know. And He's su- and such sweet, a... And what, and what a uh, sweet guy. Totally sweet guy. He, um, I was so stoked. Uh, gosh, uh, 10 years ago? No, even longer than that. 20, 2005, I think it was. Um, he, you know, he'd been doing his blues things for a while. Yeah. And he kind of wanted to, like, try and do a punk thing again. And he's like, you want to play with me? I go, fuck yeah, let's do it. So I played bass and uh, solely played drums and Joe played guitar and we started we had a couple few practices and um, I wasn't really cut I hadn't played for a number of years you just played at uh, Chicken's Place um no oh okay but um so we ended up um we brought Ray Bones in oh yeah Ray Bones played bass 
I switched to second guitar. And um, we played for about a year. We did about 10 gigs or something. That's sweet. But it was so fun. And we did like, you know, we did like a handful of Joe Wood era TSOL songs and songs that he wrote, like Flowers by the Door and Red Shadows. And um, I had to learn like Ron's guitar parts, mm-hmm. um, which you know Ron's like my best friend and you know one of my fa- all-time favorite guitar players. Um, but being able to play with Joe was, uh, I mean, it, it was rad, man. That's killer. Yeah, and I miss him. I don't get to see him, you know. He's down south right now. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I try and go see him, you know, if he comes up and plays in this area. You know, I see him about once a year, maybe. I get to, you know, go see him, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of my f- just favorite human beings. He's you so, know? such a nice guy. Such a... <clears throat> I mean, you know, same guy. Like, I knew the guy when he was yep. not famous. <laughs> Hasn't I, changed one bit. Same huh? dude. He's the same dude. Yep. So generous, so we all put a little. And, we all put a little weight on and lost a little hair, but... Look a little different, that's about yeah, it. Yeah, he hasn't changed a bit, man. Oh. I love him. Yeah, and cool. on that note, next time he comes, let's go see him, okay? Okay, sounds good. Thanks yeah. again for having that conversation. Yeah, that's fun. I'm going to take a little picture of you. Does your Zoom record?